This is Lieutenant Commander Bordis. You are listening to the Redenbacher. Welcome to the podcast. It's cool on the other side of the galaxy. It's the Redenbacher. I'm your Captain Matt Murphy, joined by Commander Ben Bullerwell. How's it going, Ben? It is going super good, Matt. I'm doing fantastic. I'm super hyped to talk about this week's episode. How are things on your end, Captain? Well, they're great. They're great. But unfortunately, like, I, I heard that we're listening to this episode on time travel, and I don't remember that happening. Like, where the timeline split at one point, this is a historical episode that has, like, a big impact on our, our history in the universe. Because I hear this Orville ship really, really got into some business. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm under the impression of the same thing, and it is news to me as well. What yeah. the hell is going on? I just seem to remember, uh, like, a timeline where I was a pig farmer instead of a captain, but I, I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, let's look into this episode and see if we have any more any more ideas kind of come to us. But uh, we're receiving a transmission. That's right. It's The Road Not Taken, written by David A. Goodman and directed by Gary Rake, who's continuing his uh, path as director. He directed last week's episode and continued to kill it this week. What's cool is uh, David A. Goodman is writing the comic. And if this episode is any indication, like he's a great Orville writer. He wrote like a couple episodes earlier this season, but damn, am I looking forward to the comic after this. I would have to agree. Um, he's written some great, great episodes. This one is not an exception. This is phenomenal. And like yourself, Matthew, I am very much looking forward to the comics. Uh, you guys can be damn sure that we're going to be picking those up and talking about those in the near future. So, yeah. you know, clip in, fasten your space belts or whatever the hell you want to call it, and giddy up. No, I'm excited to see where that expands on the Orville lore in between seasons one and two. And uh, they actually had like a, a page uh, in previews this week. Previews is like a magazine they have for comics that comes out and they just show all the future stuff that's coming out in a few months. And uh, it looked pretty good. Like it felt like it was right off the show. So can't wait for that. But anyways, let it's time to get into the time uh, time travel story. And uh, I'm excited. It was good. The opening was really cool. It was like a wintry scene and you didn't even know what to expect. Because after last week, like it was all speculation. There was no definitive idea as to what could happen. No, it's absolutely true. Last week where we ended, I mean, yeah, you've got no idea how this week's episode was going to start. It could be literally anything. anything. No, it, it, exactly. And uh, last week I kind of thought that the Kalons might be involved because of all the talk of Aronov's research. And they did play a big role. And Aronov's research was like a focal point at the crux of this episode. You darn tootin', brother. Yeah, so if you uh, like these predictions and uh, think I'm accurate or like to hear my thoughts, uh, check out the Redenbacher blog that we do each week on Orville Central. That's pretty sweet. We've done about four of those, and there'll be another one to accompany this episode. And, of course, check out the podcast, <laughs> which you Absolutely. already Absolutely. I, I would very much like to tell everyone to go check out the blog post. They're written by yours truly, Matt Murphy, the captain here, and it is phenomenal. Thank you for that. Yeah, I have a lot of fun writing them, and it allows me to express more thoughts that I can't quite uh, formulate for the podcast. So it's fantastic. So anyways, back to the episode. We have these two uh, hooded figures where they have, like, masks on, and we see them heading towards an outpost, and it's a Union listening post on Saren 4, which is cool because in Star Wars, there's a lot... This is the most Star Wars episode of the Orville. I'll get that out of the way right now, but Yavin 4 is where the Rebel base is in Star Wars in the original trilogy, so I think that that's uh, a really cool connection. I don't think it's any any indication because like four is the iconic number and i don't think it's any coincidence that we have a planet that has like the roman roman numeral four there so uh, uh just like earmark that mm -hmm. i would have to agree I, I i would say you're probably onto something like you usually are <laughs> yeah so they enter the area and they search for supplies they get out this um this like microwave looking device and it turns out to be a a synthesizer later on which is cool but then we see that a, a k1 ship flies overhead and three k emerge and 
we know that it's trouble. We know it's not good. And it's extra trouble because not only do they have guns for heads, but now the heads fly like drones and chase you, which is extra scary and awesome. Yeah, like, really, though, if it wasn't hard enough to escape the Kalon before, now they're, like, fully mobile. They can fly around blasted to pieces from any direction. <laughs> now, did they always have this? Or is this something that they just got since they were, like, expanding their empire in the few months since uh, the Warville failed? Yeah, see, that's something that I questioned as well. Um, obviously, like we've not seen this before in, in the Orville, so I, I would say that yes, in this timeline, like those nine months, I think it was approximately that had passed. I, I believe the Kalon have been working on their weapons game. Um, yeah, I, that's what I assume. But uh, something else I noticed in when they're attacking the base later on, the Rebel base, mm-hmm. they have their guns out, their turret guns, and they have like spikes on the on the gun barrel too. I don't know if that was there before. I didn't notice it before, so not sure if that's new. It's mm-hmm. not like a bayonet because you're not going to get up close to their head, but it might be more intimidating or make them harder to cut off or something. I don't know. Yeah, I actually didn't take notice of that, Matt. Um, good eye, mate. Um, yeah, I, I would say this is probably maybe just like like a visual indication that this is in a separate timeline mm. where certain yeah. things. I, I mean, I'm really not sure, but that's from what you've told me just now, and I'm trying to like make sense of it all. That's the best I can do of making sense of it. <laughs> no, no problem. Just a little something I wanted to throw out there. So yeah, they they get fired on, and uh, the Kalon are not ideal at firing. They get a lot more shots on later, and they. This is not their best outing as far as target practice. Uh, they miss the, they miss these two uh, mass figures, and then we find out that they're Ed and Gordon. When I first watched the episode, I was like, I bet that's Ed and Gordon. Like, not just to say after the fact, Monday morning quarterback, but I knew it was Ed and Gordon. I could just tell by, like, the height and the two of them, I figured, because they're usually, they're, like, the two, uh, you know, best friends there. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, because when you hear them talk before they, like, take their masks off... Yeah. After I watched it the first time, you can hear Gordon's voice. Exactly. Yeah. The yeah. first time, I, I was very, I was, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know who these people were. Um, the second time around, though, yes, I did pick up on Gordon's voice through the kind of uh, muffled respirator kind of sound. It was cool because, like, you didn't know what to expect. I love this whole intro. It just felt like it was out of another world. Uh, you know, no pun intended, because it actually is like another world we hadn't seen before. But it was a really sweet opening. It felt like a cinematic event. It felt like a movie. You know, it felt like this was a season finale, which is obviously what you want to do when you do the when you end your TV season. Mm-hmm, absolutely. It has such a awesome, amazing feel. Um, everything was done so well. Like, yeah, no, it was couldn't great. be happier. It was great. So they get into this uh, this ship and they try to escape, but they chase them off. And they mentioned they thought they would be safe at that base. Clearly, that's not the case. They fly off and Gordon can't get into Quantum. So they have to figure out how to escape without, uh, you know, going at their top speed. So Gordon indicates that there's an ice moon around the planet and that they can just uh, kind of buy time hiding in there, which was a really beautiful sequence. It, it was. It was absolutely gorgeous, man. Um, like the inside of the ice moon and like everything. It, it was so beautiful. Seth yeah. said they might have gone over budget with this finale, uh, and I believe him, but it was still a beautiful-looking finale. And, you know, in the end, are we going to remember how much he spent on it, uh, you know, 20 years from now? But we can look back on this glorious, you know, two-parter and an end to a top-notch season of TV. I think it's worth it. Absolutely. I mean, you know what? All sorts of things go over budget all the time, and, and this is worth going over budget on. It was such a fantastic episode. Everything from, like, the special effects, like, the acting, just, like, I mean, the acting is always top-notch, but... It was just phenomenal. 
Absolutely, positively, if I have to quote a Simpsons episode that I can't name. Um, <laughs> no, it, it was great. And so um, they they hide from the ship and they find like a, a cavern and they shoot the ceiling down on top of the Kalon and crush it, which is a cool little maneuver. The Kalon are really good at math and stuff, but it's kind of like they're kind of just like nerds where they can't really do a bunch of like physical kind of stuff. They're good at like planning and, and they can speak. They can talk the talk. But when it comes to walking the walk, I mean, the humans really do it a bit better than them. It's absolutely true. I love in this scene, too, because after um, Ed shoots on the ice, like, kind of cavern and it collapses and destroys the Kalon vessel, that it's kind of like he just tells Gordon, like, all right, go. It's like, okay, Gordon, like, you got to navigate this, like, (laughs) exact same thing that just killed the Kalon. Um, Now it's up to you. And you did a great job. Yeah, for sure. So they wait it out, and then uh, this gives the drive enough time to get online. And, uh, you know, in conversation, Ed mentions that the Kalon have wiped out... uh, most of the known galaxy in nine months which is they've been pretty effective those kalon later on uh not to spoil obviously you've seen the episode but they reveal that uh, Moklis was destroyed for bordis and that makes sense that is the first place you'd want to destroy because they upgrade the shields and the and the weapons of the warville and other union ships so that would be a key place to take out absolutely like we learned um i i it was a couple episodes ago there um with the dolly parton bit Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we find out that, yeah, Moklis actually provides most of the Union with arms. Um, so, yes, it would be a prime target if you're going to try and end, like, an uprising or a rebellion or a- any type of uh, defense, I guess, really. Take out the weapons dealers. And- yeah, and for all you uh, Mocklin detractors out there, not only do you get Mocklis destroyed, but uh, you only have, like, one Mocklin at the end there for, like, two and a half minutes there. So it's you guys can live with that. I mean, uh, you know, it balances out. You have a Mocklin-heavy season, but not not that many Mocklins in the finale. No, there was very little Mocklis in, uh, in the last episode. We barely yeah. see any of it. No, but... Uh, and another thing is I barely noticed that Isaac wasn't really in this episode until like near the end. And it was still like a really strong finale. That just shows how great a storyline they have and what a great crew they have when even some of my favorites like Yafit and Isaac are really only in it for a couple minutes. And it still works like fantastically. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, yeah, like Isaac and Yafit are both some of like my favorite characters as well. And I mean, yeah, like Isaac's only in it for literally like 20 seconds or something like that. When well, I mean, we won't spoil. T- I mean, you already know, but we won't get into it right now. Yeah, we won't get ahead and, of ourselves. Yafit, uh, he makes a very brief appearance, and it, it's a knee it's slapper. Memorable. It's memorable. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Ed mentions recommends that they go to Calavon, and so they do because uh, you know it, it just seems like a, a place that might have something they need. And I think it's interesting to see the Orbital in a world without the Union. So it underlines just how important the Union is, and how nice it is to have peace within the galaxy or some kind of nice rapport where not everyone's killing each other and living in fear. Yeah, absolutely. This episode really gives us like a look at like a a, a galaxy of chaos, mm-hmm. um, a galaxy without order, and what seems to be a galaxy without hope, which yeah. is very scary. So you know, always going a second day without Ed, with Ed Mercer. Otherwise, you know, who knows? Who knows what happened? The whole world, <laughs> the whole galaxy could crumble down. Ladies, <laughs> if Ed Mercer asks you on a date, on a second date. Please, for, this, for, for the fate of sake. the universe, yeah. Except, <laughs> yeah. So uh, Ed and Gordon managed to get the synthesizer uh, that they need that they retrieved to work, and uh, this is great. And what does Gordon pick for a first meal? No, none other than a Twinkie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Ed's kind of like, really, a Twinkie? Like we haven't had a decent meal in this long, and he ordered a Twinkie, and he's like, yeah, of course. Like, what? Like, do you want half of it? He's like, yeah, I want half of it. So I mean, Ed's not really, uh, yeah. he's not upset. He's, he's just kind of, you know. It's just kind of silly, hey? And even when the universe is wiped out, they still have um, 
they still have Twinkies. So, like, not only can they withstand, like, in Family Guy, with, like, nuclear blasts and stuff like that, and, like, the fall of society, the fall of the galaxy, Twinkies are still somehow finding a way into the world. <laughs> and I can't not think of, like, Ghostbusters when I think of Twinkies. So, like, this movie just made me think of, like, all a lot of my favorite properties, like Ghostbusters, Star Wars, Star Trek, and, like, all this stuff. It was just, like, a, an amalgamation of all the things that make entertainment great. And uh, it worked. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a big smorgasbord of awesomeness, man. Exactly, exactly. Um, the uh, their enjoyment's interrupted of this Twinkie by uh, a huge ship, and it's a massive vessel, and the tractor beam pulls them in. We see that see and Gordon. They're getting ready to defend themselves. They they do not want this Twinkie to be their last meal. They pull out their guns, and then they see Kelly enter, and Ed recognizes Kelly because in this universe they've only been on one date, and she's followed with a ragtag crew of uh, Orville crew members. Mm-hmm. Um, she then tells Ed and Gordon about the alternate timeline. They're kind of skeptical, but uh, in this world, the Orville had fallen to the Kalon. Yeah, it's been it's been seven years for Kelly since she was sent back. Mm-hmm. And Gordon mentions like, is this one of those Krakow ships I've heard about? Which is fantastic, just to think of like a crack vessel just floating in the space full of crackheads. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a hilarious bit when you think about it. Just like you know, the galaxy is in ruin. There's no order. We're just floating through space, and you just come across like a crack house that's you know just. Well, a crack ship, I suppose, sorry. But it's just, like, floating around. Everyone's just trying to get through the hard times, heating up the pipe. Well, know. as we know, like, Gordon's family is trash, as he said, or he thinks his family's trash when they went to uh, drop uh, Alara off on our home planet. So, you know, this just further adds to that narrative. Like, he would know a lot about crack ships if he really did grow up around trash. I suppose you're right, yeah. Not to get too hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but but it's true. We're still on the bridge, and uh, Kelly says that Dr. Finn had attempted to give her a memory wipe, uh, as we know now that it obviously did. Well, we knew, we had, Matt had a very good indication at the end that it didn't work. He's you right. You thought that too, though. You thought that too. We were both on the same page. I don't think the memory wipe worked, because, like, you don't go for, like, the penultimate episode and then not have, like, a total timeline disaster when you send someone back. You know, so I knew I knew it, it, something had to happen there. Dr. Finn says that uh, the mind the mind wipe only failed because Kelly's brain is sufficient a protein called beta secretase, and it's something that's really easy to miss, but it can't be fixed. So the crew does have to go and get this chemical somehow if they're going to rewrite the timeline. This whole scene is just them talking like in the uh, in like the meeting room or whatever of this ship, and they're just basically breaking it down and saying, "Here's the timeline. Here, here's how this worked, and uh, we're meeting our new crew." So Kelly mentions that, yeah, it's it's been seven years since she was sent back, so she's lived this whole life after turning head down, fully aware of another timeline, and she's been gathering the people that were on the crew of the Orville. And the way she's managed to do this was by telling them things that only she would know from the, that timeline. Without having met them, they wouldn't be able to argue it. So there we go. Mm-hmm. This is something Matt told me about. Um, he mentioned that there was some like really amazing symmetry here. Uh, it was a good point because in last week's episode, it's Ed who has to fill in Kelly um, about all the unknowns. And in, in this week's episode, it's totally like polar opposite. Yeah, it's nice to see the alternate version of that. They go together quite well, these two episodes. Kelly says to Ed that uh, they're only able to stop the, the Kalon because Ed was the captain of the Orville at the time. Now, when you hear that on the face, it's like, really? Ed is the captain? That's it? Like, I love Ed and I love him as a captain, but just Ed? But no, it's not just that. They explain it well. They say, because Ed was captain, uh, Dr. Finn decided to side on because she always likes to be posted where she's needed and she fell on the Orville. Who knows what could go wrong? I'll be needed, as we saw uh i think it was like the premiere the first episode ever they said that and without uh dr finn's relationship with isaac and her sons being involved isaac would uh isaac would have never turned on his own people without that bond so it's those uh, series of events that really saved the whole universe yeah like i remember when i was watching this episode um and that that line came across i was like holy cow wait have they been like just planning this the entire time or did they kind of piece it all together at the end because this is 
super crazy elaborate. Like we're taking little snippets from like episodes that are like quite, quite early in the season, really. And um, Aronoff's research has been mentioned from like early in season one. Mm-hmm. Like it's, man, like honestly, this is quite a beautiful quilt that's coming together, if I may. Patchwork is fantastic and it keeps you warm and uh, sleeping happy. No, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, after mentioning that, Tala then says that the other timeline is possible. Uh, she served with Isaac under Captain Griffith, and uh, they all thought Isaac was their friend on the Orville. So I like how there has been experience in the Orville. There's been Tala and Isaac were on there, but it didn't turn out that well. Also, Captain Griffith is so close to Captain Griffin, which is the the name of the Family Guy family. They're the Griffin family. That can't be a coincidence. Like, there's no way that people were writing a show with Seth MacFarlane as the lead and had him replaced by a guy called Captain Griffith, you know? No, I think you're absolutely right. I, I would say that is a little shout-out to the to the Family Guy family. Yeah. The Griffiths. Yeah. Yeah. Family Guy family, that's stupid. Okay. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. No, I actually like it, though. No. Yeah, and what's, what I got from this episode is this, this just underlines how lucky we are to have, a, to have a crew as uniquely awesome as the Orville. Not just uh, in the show, but on TV also, like, as a viewing experience. So many ducks had to line up for us to get this. As I mentioned with uh, Kelly's speech from Lasting Impressions, we would not have the Orville if Seth didn't turn down, or Seth wasn't turned down for a Star Trek show. So there's so many things with time that just one little thing changes and the whole outcome is different. No, you're absolutely right. Like um, timing and just like the way that I guess like events fall into place. And I mean, yeah, like if if when Seth approached CBS and asked to do a spinoff series, if they said yes, and well, I mean, sure, we'd have another Star Trek spinoff. Which I mean, we have we have we have enough Star Trek right now. I think. <laughs> sorry, that's not bashing Discovery, but what I'm saying is there's a lot a lot of Star Trek content, and you know what? I, I like my life right now, and and your life, Matthew. They, they wouldn't be the same without that happening no, because then we wouldn't be able to bring this uh, this podcast to you guys. We wouldn't have the Orville to talk about and we wouldn't have kind of created this community that we have. And, well, I mean, who knows? We might be podcasting about uh, Seth MacFarlane's, like, spinoff series. Of In the Alter Universe. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Like Ooh, that. mirror, mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. So uh, Lamar says that there is a, a resistance base that he knows of. He's got a contact that uh, has the necessary protein to make this mind wipe and uh, fix the timeline. So they head out in that direction. But they need a good pilot to get to that base. And, of course, we've got Gordon Malloy. He's up to the challenge. He asks where the cockpit is, and then everyone uh, leaves Kelly and Ed alone. And they have a nice little scene together. They talk, and Kelly explains that she saw too much pain and heartbreak in the future where they'd split up. And she did what she thought was right to try to protect him. Mm-hmm. So Ed says that she should have thought of how it would affect everyone. He says that after she ghosted him, it felt like the end of the world. And it turns out he, he was actually right. It, it was the end of the, the world. And, and much more than the world, actually, the galaxy. That's uh, like the like, Mopius gothing. So like, I thought it was the end of the world. Turns out I was right. <laughs> but it actually was. It actually right. He, like, he sounds a little selfish, but he's not wrong. Yeah, where's the lie here? No, you're right. It does sound incredibly selfish. It's kind of like, you know, it was the end of the world. Like, it sounds kind of, like, immature and maybe dramatic. But, like, no, no, it's not. Like, it, it, it totally killed him as a person. But at the same time, yeah, that actually paved the way to, like, the Kinglon Empire kind of taking over. And literally, like, Earth. We've seen Earth later in this episode. It's absolutely mangled along with the rest of the the galaxy as far as we understand a big chunk of it and the rest of it will be if uh, the kalon have their way nine months and taking out most of the known planets in the in the union that's pretty impressive and they're only getting more planets to assimilate build more members and then take over so really i mean this is probably the last shot that they have period to turn the tides 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember when they were when Gordon and Ed were in the shuttle and they were talking about like where to go and they talked about going to Calvalon or whatever. The people there were the biggest threat to the Kalon. Oh, and yeah. And it was kind of at that point where they're kind of like, maybe we can just sit on like the edge of their space and hopefully go unnoticed because they didn't think Kalon would like confront them in a, in yeah. a battle. So, I mean, that's pretty much all we know of the surviving galaxy is like this other very, very large, um, potentially like hostile, yeah. well, actually very hostile um, community or whatever you want to refer to civilization it whatever's left society yeah mm-hmm. it's funny I, what i like about uh, when kelly and ed have that little scene together and he says i was right or whatever kelly just says like it's good to see you again which like I, I really like that just because she hasn't seen him in seven years she changed the whole galaxy basically the fate of the universe so that he they would have a chance to like not break each other's hearts and be miserable which she thought that they, there was a lot of pain she wanted to stop that pain so you know she sees ed and he is still devastated he's still going like oh it turns out i was right like he's still not living his best life apparently anyways you're right like it's definitely taken a toll on ed like even seven years have passed and um he's definitely not over it yeah yeah that's just some solid writing that i like that just makes you think of all the different elements when we might not have time to fully see a universe without them like for like a full season although i would be totally here if they wanted to do like another comic story that was like an alternate universe bad timeline or just you know a couple elseworld sales that's comic books mo like dc does that all the time or a what if story that'd be really cool to see yeah, That's I pretty agree. much what this was. Yeah, essentially. Um, but I would love to see more of it, actually. Like, at this point, we actually don't know if Season 3 is... I mean, let's let's put that out of the way. Season 3 is totally coming, guys. It's got to. But it's going to be a long wait to see. And we don't really know. Like, maybe we will get to see bits and pieces of... Probably not. Hopefully the comics cover it. Uh, well, the thing is with the renewal is... Seth MacFarlane's contract with Fox expires, I think, in, like, June or July, like, in the summer. So mm-hmm. they might not want to renew until they see where he's at with his contract. So I think mm-hmm. Ed loves being on the Orville. I think Seth loves being part of the show. You can tell he's beaming, and he's a tra- diehard Trek nerd. So I think he's going to do whatever he can without losing, like, his fortune here to go and keep the show on, on the air. And uh, I'm optimistic. I don't like thinking about it too much. Like, I think we will get it more than we won't. If not, there's a comic series, and I'm pumped about the two seasons we have. Like, if this is all we have, it was a hell of a ride, and I'm happy for that. Like, we could be in uh, Ed and Kelly's timeline right now as they're having the date there going, like, yeah, this whole time, like, if we're successful, it's over, you know? Like, so, you know, (laughs) I I, I hope it gets renewed, and I'm thinking it's more likely than not. Mm Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. Guys, there is a petition. I believe it's on change.org right now. It has been absolutely exploding. I signed it when there was about 300 people signed. Uh, I went back a couple days later, and it, it's over tenfold of that. We're in like the like probably by now. I, I wouldn't even want to guess. Probably around 5,000 mark. Um, awesome. So thank you everyone who's been supporting that um, that change.org petition. Um, let's uh, let's do all we can, guys. For let's, sure. Let's make this happen. If we can change the timeline, changing the dot org should be uh, quite easy. No, it's, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. <laughs> so uh, Lamar says that uh, they they're flying through space and we see a, uh, an asteroid field. So we're continuing the Star Wars vibes for sure. And Lamar says that the asteroid field was uh, a former planet that was blown up and it's in the process of slowly entering a black hole, which was a really cool display. And I haven't really seen that in a science fiction show before. Yeah, it was actually like super super cool, man. Um, yeah, it was beautiful. I like that. And then we have Gordon dodging all these asteroids. Eventually, the crew finds a 
the, the planet with the rebel base on it. I don't think we're ever given a name. And they send a shuttle. But it's announced that uh, the Kalon could attack at any time. So we're going to use our scanners there to look out for the Kalon. But we'll basically be a sitting duck this whole time while you guys go down there and get that. Yeah, it's true, actually. Um, but, you know, these are the risks we take when we want to rewrite time. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I noticed Lamar had a much bigger role this this week, probably his biggest role in the season, and I'm glad he was really useful in this. And like they wouldn't have been able to do do this without him. And it was really nice to see him stand up and uh, you know take the reins of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, he, he did an excellent job, an excellent job. You're you're right. It was very Lamar heavy this episode, and he did not disappoint in, no. in any way. And I'm glad the man is just dripping in charisma. You just want to see him on your screen more and more. He, he's great. You're Jim. right. He might be in my background soon. I'd love to see him on. <laughs> my background's been uh, the Kalon. You can get the uh, awesome wallpapers at uh, Orville Central. That's where I got mine. And it's been relevant. Like, we even made that meme about Earth Day. And little did we know the Kalon threat. The Kalon would appear in the next two episodes after that Earth Day meme on Twitter and Instagram at the Redenbacher, if you're interested. <laughs> Which you ought to be. Um, <laughs> yeah, we make memes sometimes. Uh, Carving from scratch is handmade memes. Just uh, make them down by the pier there, and uh, they're great. <laughs> yeah, the um, the crew they they take the shuttle down and they find uh, the bunker. Uh, it's like hidden and it's all. I like the way the bunker looks. It's uh, hidden and it looks like it's buried under some like foliage and stuff. And he goes up to the keypad and he types something in. But then out of the peephole we see Yafit's face pop through. And this is very much like Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi with the with the droid right there sticking his eye out it's like you can't not think of it if you've seen it and it, it was fantastic you know lamar says hey it's john but yoffa can't remember he says the piece of him uh, got blasted off that uh, had his had that memory i guess and then he lets them in yeah it's interesting actually because after yoffa said that I, I expected to see like i don't know maybe like a burn marker like some like some concrete mm-hmm. damage done to him but he is a gelatinous life form and it, it's interesting because I mean, sure, he, I, I don't know, like, he might weigh a few ounces less or something, but it's interesting um, from, like, a physiological standpoint mm-hmm. where a part of him gets shot off and perhaps, like, any part of his, his gelatinous self could be containing memory, which is which is quite interesting if you were to compare it to, you know, any other sort of biological life form where we have our brains. Um, but uh, I guess, like, Yafet, like, uh, is, well... I didn't think of that. He's a mystery to me. Yeah, he's a mystery to me, man. Yeah, he looked pretty intact, but like you could like probably fill him with more like whatever liquid he's made of or like whatever (laughs) to inject him. But you're not going to be able to like recreate those memories, that's for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so while we're walking through the base here, Yafit calls over to a lieutenant there, and it's revealed to be our favorite, everyone's favorite, the hero, Mm -hmm. it's Alara, and it was so nice to see her, even if it was just for a little bit. I know. When I saw Alara, like my my heart skipped a beat. I felt fuzzy and warm inside god damn i think i'm in love like (laughs) (laughs) she's great she's just got that like iconic kind of look to her where you know she's great everyone loves her she's like the darling of the orville i mean there's no denying it like people are still devastated that she had to leave but it was just really nice to see her i uh i saw online that somebody like called that that the or the alarm was going to be there and i included in my blog as well because like when I read it, I was like, yeah, there's no reason not to do that. You just have to get Halston Sage to come in for, like, a day of shooting. And uh, it's too perfect not to work. So, And, of course, it came to fruition. Mm-hmm. It, it was amazing. Uh, I was so, 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 so happy to see Alara back. I've missed you so much, Alara. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, uh, Lamar and, and Alara, who, who if they were a couple, I think it's indicated that they might have been a couple because they share some words and it seems like they've got some history. So I will be calling them Lamara from now on. Uh, if that's a couple. <laughs> 
And that's the <laughs> portmanteau for them. Because I almost said it when I saw the two names in my notes. I almost just congealed them together like they're a yoff and blob of a couple. But uh, no, it would be it would be great to see an alternate timeline like following this path with Alara because she's still off planet and she mentions that she's still taking her gravity injections or whatever to be able to continue the cause to you know lead the resistance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I would very much like to see um, Alara play a large role in the comic book because we wouldn't even need the actor. Like we just need yeah. rights to like the, like you know to use her likeness or whatever. And someone um, like David A. Goodman, who's writing the book already, who knows the character to write it, or anybody familiar with the character. It, it would be so amazing to see Alara back in the Orville in some capacity. If it's if it's not season three, um, the comic books would be so fantastic. I, I would very much love to see her in those. Yeah, um, it was. It's like all the alternate timeline stuff is sad. Like, of course, even like Malcolm's dying, that hit me with mm-hmm. uh, Bordis losing his family. But it was really sad to see Alara in a timeline where she failed as head of security. Like, she left to go beyond uh, the Orville. Who knows if Captain Griffith was as great a captain and as nurturing as Ed was to her? And she's on the ship for I don't know, could be more than a year. And then the Kalon come and, and wipe it out. And then the ship that she's in charge of, the Kalon, managed to overtake and turn the tide of the war. And then it's it's not her fault, but she would probably feel responsibility being in charge of security. So it's really sad that she doesn't have that. And it's nice to know that in the timeline that we are in, the current timeline, she's living happily with her family. Mm-hmm, you're right. I mean, Alara was always one of those characters um, where there was quite a bit of like tear jerking moments. Um, I had a very, I still do. I have a very soft spot in my heart for her. And, and yeah, you're right. It, it's very, very nice to know that despite what happens here in, in this timeline, back in, I'm going to refer to it as like our prime timeline, it, it's very nice to know that she's back at home with her loved ones and she's safe because we're pretty damn certain everyone on that outpost dies. Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I would imagine that like she probably dies like three minutes after they leave here. So uh, Alara mentions that the Kalon, they don't destroy rebel bases from space. They like to go down and capture them and interrogate the rebels as to where the other uh, cells of rebels are. So that makes sense. That checks out with the beginning of the episode, why they didn't just blow up the outpost from space. They wanted Ed and Gordon as their prisoners so they could uh, wipe out the resistance more effectively. So that checks out. I like that. And mm-hmm. what's cool is uh, later earlier on when her and Lamar are talking, Lamar and Alara, he says... Uh, Something about like, oh, she's uh, she's got a small package, but don't don't doubt her. She's you know a smaller person, but don't doubt her by her size. And then uh, she says to him, well, you have to be able to count on, on someone, like implying that like he left her high and dry. Might have just been like really close friends and he betrayed her, but I I get that there might have been a romance between them. Yeah, I'm with you, Matt. I think that they were definitely more than friends. Um, it was you that underlined it when we spoke about it uh, after we first watched it. Like we we have the part there, and Doctor Finn gets the protein, but like you know we know the Kalon soldiers are they're they're moving in. Um, the crew flees, and and at this point, this is like a very emotional moment. Uh, it was for me anyway. Um, when when John says to her, he's like, you know, like Alara, like there is room for you, and she says like, no, like I have to stay here. These people need me, and that's the last time we see Alara. And there is such a strong like tension there. Um, and you can kind of see in Lamar's face, like when she declines the offer, like yeah. he knows he's got to go, but it, it hurts him a lot. And until you like start talking about it now, like like she's going down with the ship, like she's like, no, 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 I, none of my other people here have the offer to go on some magical vessel and fly off. I'm gonna stay here and and either you know win this fight or die here with my people. She's such a phenomenal character. 
and again, I'm excited to go talk about those uh, those 13 episodes or those first like 14 or 15 episodes that she was in. We're going to go over those in the summer, as we mentioned last week. And uh, we hope you guys join us because uh, the Orville might be off for the summer, but we're not. The Redenbacher is going to continue throughout the summer and we're going to keep going with, uh, you know, semi-regular podcasts, if not every week. Yeah, we've got some we've got some big plans. We're going to be covering season one. Uh, we're going to be doing our fan fiction. And when the comics air, we're going to be doing the comics as well. So, guys, yep. just because season two is over... Like the Redenbachers just getting started. Well, not oh, just getting started, but we're taking off, baby. Another indication that we might get a, a renewal. Well, I don't know if this is this isn't like a hard check in that column, but there's an Orville calendar coming out in 2020 for 2020. And I'm gonna get that, <laughs> which oh, is buddy. nice. Yeah. I, <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited for that. I know one of the things for March, I think, is like Gordon and Lamar having a drink and someone else is there in the picture. I'm not sure if it's Isaac, but uh, no, I, I'm all there for that. I haven't bought a calendar in a long time, but I will for the Orville. Yeah, I can't even... I think the last calendar I got was like a cat calendar for my sister for like five Christmases ago <laughs> or something. But yeah, this deserves a place on your wall, on my wall, and on every listener's wall. Guys, stay or tuned your, for that. Or your ceiling, you know, or the floor. Where we, I don't judge. <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere. You just, you just buy it, okay? It's going to be beautiful. And when the year's over, you can cut up the calendar and you can tape it all together and you can oh, make a beautiful a poster out of it. Yeah. Jeez. Mm-hmm. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> or you know, you can just wait until you know uh, the year 2020 and when the timeline resets. Or no, I'm just kidding. That's, <laughs> that's future Rebel stuff. But yeah, the uh, Rebel forces buy some time and manage to hold off the Kalon. The Kalon actually do get some shots here. They kill people just like when they're boarding the Orville back in Identity Part One when they're just shooting people. They're just like taking people out left and right. Mm-hmm. It's true. I, I hate to say, it, but yeah, like their little cell there were not quite as lucky as Ed and Gordon in the intro of the episode. Like the Kalon are hitting mad shots. Like people are dropping like space flies, if I may. I don't know what a space fly is, but I imagine <laughs> yeah. they probably don't drop though because there's no gravity. But whatever, they're dying, and that's awful. No, yeah, it's terrible. And right as we see Ed and Kelly and the crew get back into the shuttle. Uh, we see the rebel base blow up with all the rebels in it, assumedly, and Alara, which is devastating. But there is solace in knowing that, hey, if this all works, their deaths will be undone. You know, there'll be a timeline where they're, you know, they're living happily. Mm-hmm. And that's what we hold on to here at the Redenbacher. <laughs> yeah. As uh, as they enter the shuttle, we see uh, there's a Kalon waiting there to take them to uh, to take them prisoner. And uh, Kelly and Ed's teamwork, uh, you know, make short work of the Kalon. And uh, it's we get like the most heavy. It wasn't heavy handed, but uh, Kelly's like, I I like it on top. And then she 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 goes high and and Ed goes low. And it was, it just felt like a 19 uh, 1970s kind of line or something. But I I'll allow it. The show it works on this show. I loved it though. It was great. <laughs> They tag team the hell out of that Kalon. So yeah, after they take out the Kalon, Kelly tells Tala that uh, she'll have to meet them halfway. Tala's still in space, and the Kalon are are uh, chasing after her, but they can't get all the way out there because they'll definitely get shot down if the sh- it's just the shuttle out in space against the Kalon. Gordon thinks this is a fantastic time to start teaching Ty how the ship works and teaches them how to use the tractor beam. He says, "Hey Ty, uh, is that your name? Uh, you can press that big red button, and then it uh, pulls up the ship. Not the best time for this." I mean, like you know. It's beautiful to to teach uh, the younger generation. Um, at the present time, I mean, you know, shit. Like, what if Ty pressed the wrong button and like everything just went south? You know, high risk, high risk. Um, but that doesn't happen. Okay, the shuttle barely makes it in. It's a very rough landing. And yeah, um, <laughs> I love the scene when Ty comes, or sorry, when Claire and everyone comes in, and Ty's like, "Mom, Mom, I did the tractor beam." Finn's just like, "Ty, that's great, like whatever, like totally dismissive." I mean, yes, in the very like specific time that we're in right there, 
Um, you know, it's not like you're going to pick him up and be like, oh, good for you, Ty, you did. It's like, we got to get the hell it, out of like here. It's like Simba trying to wake up his dad or mom. It's like, we get it. Simba, Aww. Simba, okay, we, we got it. You know, like, we, we know this, so we know. Like, also, like, I was like, what if he, instead of pressing the tractor beam, just like, oh, uh, what's that button? And then press the eject button, and then, like, Corn goes flying through his maze, and then that's like, <laughs> so they're in trouble. Like... No, I, I liked it for what it is, you know. I, no, that, the, I like how, like, the reference is, like, you're dealing with, you know, the struggles of parenthood as uh, you're trying to write the timeline. Mom, look, I did the, uh, <laughs> the tractor beam. <laughs> right, Ty, we gotta go. Uh... <laughs> yeah. And I liked how the shuttle uh, enters the ship. It was very much like in Blood of Patriots when Orin threw, drove the shuttle in there and just like barely made it in and like flew in and like hit the walls and skidded across. So I like that. Yeah, no, you're right. You know, I didn't really, I didn't really think of that, but you're you're actually right. It, it's it's very very similar. Yeah, so we're still trying to uh, escape the Kalon ships. I really like their design. I didn't really notice this before, but they are very much eye-shaped. And, like, the iris of the ship, if you will, like, pops out independently and flies for, like, tighter flying. That's really sweet. I mean, damn, man, the Kalon engineering is is really, it's quite it's quite uh, remarkable. Like, it, it looks beautiful, and it's, it's very practical. Their ships, I think, will be some of the iconic ships in sci-fi, you know, like you have Birds of Prey and all that kind of stuff. So I think they might be up there. I mean, they're really cool and they're they're effective. So you never know. Yeah, I would very much like to see some like Kalon models coming out. Like I would definitely buy one and like put it together and display it on my desk here and stroke it while I talk to you guys. About I'd how find much someone I on Kijiji to put mine together. Yeah, so uh, at this point, the crew is realizing that the quantum drive is offline as the K-Line are closing in. Lots of ship troubles here because I don't think they can really maintain vessels as, as well as they'd like to when they're under uh, threats of war at every every turn. So I think that that's why we've had so many quantum drive issues. And uh, Gordon has to do some daring maneuvering, but it's not quite enough. So Ed indicates that the black hole from earlier that was pulling in the particles, Ed says, hey, there's that black hole. And Lamar says that it's possible to slip in just inside the event horizon because light can't escape. A lot of people had problems with this, and it doesn't really bug me as much. Like, yeah, the black hole probably should have pulled them in, but maybe they have enough um, thrust that they can stay out of the, the gravitational pull or not get pulled in completely. I mean, just because light can't escape, that doesn't really mean much, guys. Like, as we see with, like, the quantum drive, like, we exceed light speed. So it's not unpractical at all, in my opinion. Uh, Obviously, the quantum drive is down. But um, Mm -hmm. later in the episode, you see when they're actually taking the Orville out of the ocean, Ed says sub-light engines. So, like, there is, like... Don't worry about that. There's a lot of different functions in the the spacecraft that, like, we couldn't even, like, comprehend. But, uh... No, I was fine with this, and either way, it was worth the visuals. Like, it wasn't, like, as world-breaking as in The Last Jedi when we, like, smashed through a ship. And while it was beautiful, it destroys, like, the entire, like, universe of Star Wars battles. But mm-hmm. either way, that's neither here nor there. I think this was really beautiful, so we get to see, uh, I don't know what it was. It was, like, that, like, pinkish thing with, like, all the lights rising from it. That's, I guess that's, like, what's inside a black hole. And then just seeing all the K-Line shifts moving quickly as time, as they experience time dilation. That was a, That was interesting. Mm-hmm. And I actually really like the time dilation thing because, like, as we know, that actually is, like, the way things happen. Um, if you're, like, orbiting something that has a much higher, like, uh, amount of gravity, time actually does, like, alter. Um, time for you will actually go slower. There's a scientific kind of theory, um, and it's if you have twins, one of the twin goes off in a spaceship and he orbits like something with a massive gravitational field. Um, and if he returns to Earth, he will actually be physically younger than than his like twin counterpart. Do, 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 do. No, but that, that is cool. <laughs> so that's hashtag real science. But mm-hmm. uh, 
I, and of course I did like the cross motion with my hands. That is not, uh, <laughs> yeah. not I think that's like time out there in soccer or whatever, or, you know, <laughs> but, uh, as the K line uh, gave, give away, uh, we see that, uh, the ship, uh, the ship has experienced like two days of time. Uh, Ed mentions that, or one of the crew members says, and then Gordon goes, "Man, how was your weekend?" <laughs> it's such like a dad joke. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love that. It's so, it's so dry, and, and you're absolutely right. Like that is such a dad joke. But you know what? Who knows? Maybe that's some kind of um, foreshadowing to to Scott Grimes' relationship. Ooh, maybe they're having kids. I don't know. How was your weekend? I think you guys are dating in two timelines here, and I'm the one that's kind of married to Kelly in real life. I'm kind of pissed off. <laughs> <over that. laughs> but no, I, I just, I just love those like stupid corny jokes. Like, well, how was your weekend? Like, it's, it's like in that South Park episode where they go to Peru and there's those giant animal, those giant, uh, uh, they're going through a forest and there's like giant uh, fruit and vegetables on the tree, and he's like, wow, how do you like them apples? Like, as they point to some apples and like just making a ton of puns <laughs> as they pass everything. <laughs> Oh, and then he was like, I ain't that a peach and stuff like that. It's just, you know, all the way through. So it, it's it's quite quite crazy. I really ought to watch that episode, actually, because um, I, I don't know really how good you guys know me, but dry humor is right up my alley. It's what I live for. The, it's actually a two-parter that involves a giant realistic guinea pigs in, in costumes. So I think you might, uh, that's not quite dry humor. It's kind of like in your face, but it, it's good stuff. Either way, that's the South Park portion of the show. Uh <laughs> I could not help but think of the Seinfeld episode where, like, uh, Elaine uh, dates the alternate universe. Uh, well, she's hanging out with the alternate universe group. Yeah, Bizarro Jerry and everyone. <laughs> yeah. And Kramer's name is, like, Feldman or something like that. Yeah, or, it's oh, Feldman. Man. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Like, and yeah. they have, like, that own little coffee shop they go to and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just not the same. This is kind of where we were. And, uh, and I mean, Kelly was basically the Elaine. She was the one that's the connecting thread. So. Oh, my God. You're so right. Captain or Commander Elaine Bennis. Yeah, Julie Lou Dreyfus reporting for awesome here. So I, I like that. So yeah, the more I make these connections, these you know uh, text to text or these show to show connections, you never know what you might find. So there's that useless little bit of connective tissue. Well, <laughs> you know what? I love that little piece of connective tissue. There you go. It's my favorite. It, it connects it. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, we're connecting your ears to our hearts uh, with this mm. connective tissue. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so um, uh, after Gordon says, like, how was your weekend, uh, we find that the uh, quantum drive is back online, and Kelly sets a course for Earth. And Ed goes, I thought Earth was destroyed. And Kelly says that they have to go back because the Orville is there, and uh, it has Isaac's files and Aronal's work. And Lamar says that the Orville wasn't destroyed, that it was, like, losing losing systems and it uh, was plummeting, but they managed to get off with some uh, escape shuttles. So, yeah, so so Ed inquires. He, he asks, like, well, so, okay, if, if the Orville is still intact somewhere, where is it? And Kelly is in this episode, kind of the bearer of bad news. And <laughs> turns out it's in the Marianas Trench, actually. Seven yeah, they don't even down. realize. They just know it's in the Pacific Ocean. But when they get there, they realize it's in the Marianas Trench. Which, of yeah, course, they're... leads me to uh, quote All-American Rejects songs instead, to think because I mixed the two bands up and I was like, well, <laughs> they'll keep that. They're dirty little secret. But, of course, uh, no, that's all that remains. But, so, like, who uh, has to know, you know? Yeah, I'll save uh, <laughs> all the remains references for uh, for Preacher. Anyways, guys, we're getting back to it. Uh, when we're on the ship, uh, we see Lamar looking at the remains of that Kalon corpse, and he's trying to get some information from it, but it's not working. Kelly comes in and asks them after, and he tells her this, and he says that Ed wanted to see you in his quarters. And so Kelly shows up. She sees Ed has set up a nice little second date. No better time than when the world's going to end. Although it mm-hmm. probably does take like six hours to travel these places at least, so you may as well get your date on. 
Yeah, I mean, like, you know, if it's going to be a pretty far commute, I mean, light the candles, Ed. Let's romance the shit out of her. And he, yeah, he says, well, technically, this is still our second date. What What do you call a date? <laughs> like, you know, with everybody there and stuff like that, no dinner, no meals. Like, no, this that's probably the beginning of your second date right there in that room. And, like, it's not like you call them back or whatever. She's still basically, you know, they just ran into each other via, via you know, circumstances. Yeah, but, I mean, hats off to Ed. That's how you get a second date. You just, you know, you just ask her to come to your quarters and you just call it a date. There we go, second date this is our second date whether you want it or not like here it is boom that's like the kind of dates they have in the office or whatever but either way um kelly asked Ed what he's been doing for seven years and he says that he's been focused on work and that he was a commanding officer on the uh, epsilon uridania post and i googled that just to see what happened and apparently it's like a planet from halo or it's like a location in halo so there's no way that's by mistake so big halo fans uh right in this episode are involved in in the orville Hmm, that's really interesting, actually. Um, now all I need I, is Gordon. I just need Gordon singing the theme of, of uh, Halo. Wait, that's the wrong song. It's close enough. Da, da, da. That's Final Fantasy, man. I've been playing too much Final Fantasy right now. Sorry, guys. No such thing. <laughs> no such thing. It's, it definitely wasn't your Final Fantasy, though. You've had, you've been enjoying at least uh, 20 of those. Sorry, that's the hey. only, That's like the Final Fantasy joke people make. But yeah, well, uh, I'm glad it was made. It, it really <laughs> brought a smile to my face. But yeah, after Ed mentions his time on the Epsilon Iridanio post, she says that like, oh, I thought you wanted your own ship. And he says, yeah, and I was, and I got close. But then K- the Kalon happened, and uh, you know, I, it didn't work out. So he never got that promotion because everything was wiped out. But it turns out it worked out all right because he got that ship in the end after all. Yeah, you know what? One way or another, he's gonna captain the Orville. Good for Ed, you know? Doesn't even let the bloody timeline interfere with his dreams. It's his destiny. There's a lot of, you know, destiny is kind of like an underlying thing, but like in some way or form, no matter what, Ed always has to become a captain of the Orville. It's what's meant to be. You're right. You're right. It's just the the will of whatever force. Hopefully not Avis. Hopefully not. Gee, (laughs) Avis. Yeah. Although they could use Davis to rent a vessel or something like that if they're still going to the future, but ugh. so <laughs> yeah, Ed got a ship after all, and Ed asked if she realized that if they succeed, none of this will have ever happened, both the good and the bad of it. So he says like, if we lose, you know, it'd be nice to just kind of like fly up together. That might be from a later interaction between the two. I think that might be when they're drinking, but uh, mm-hmm. either. But nonetheless, you know, it's on his mind. Like yeah. it, it's been on his mind for seven years. He mentions to Kelly that um. He noticed that she served on some ships, though. She asks him, like, how did that happen? Like, how do you know that? And he's like, oh, you know, I've kind of been keeping tabs on you. And, I you know, checked I Facebook. Have... <laughs> I checked Facebook. Oh, my God. Your science fiction social media platform. Sign up today, guys. No, I think ever since that Lamar episode with social media, I'm pretty sure they, not ever since, but I don't think they have any social media. They might have, like, files, like union fi- like profiles and stuff like that. But other than that. No. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I, I would say you're absolutely right. Um, but still, guys, Spacebook, like, oh shit, that was that was a good one, Matt. Like, like, yeah, I'm not pleased with that. Just just came to me like Kelly randomly when I'm trying to flee Kalon War, but uh, <laughs> I should have quit while I was ahead on that one. But uh, yeah, uh, Lamar says that uh, most of the Kalon's data is uh, protected by quantum encryption code, but he manages to reveal that the Kalon the Kalon Connectome network. That's what I got off the script. Connectome. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't really roll off the tongue. But he explains that it's like a brain web, and that the it's how the Kalons are connected and communicate. Like we've seen them in Identity, just whisper like this weird like code and just automatically know it. So they're connected mm. mentally, which is pretty sweet. They're like the Borg. They're like a hive mind. Yeah, I was actually about to make that connection, but you already did. It seems like we have a hive mind, Matthew. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you, go. you know, I'll, I'll continue. So anyways, uh, 
the ship arrives at an incredibly desolate Earth. I love the look of Earth. It was so gray and lifeless. It looked like the water might have been gone, and uh, it was really just really devastating, but also like really well rendered. Yeah, it was beautiful and scary, and well, I mean, like yeah, the animation team did a did a super cool job with everything. Um, we also see that the when we get to the Earth, that the moon's been like not destroyed. Well, not destroyed, but like a basically like a big chunk of it's been like shot out and it's just like sprayed across all around it yeah it's been like slap chopped like to hell <laughs> all i can picture is like a giant being like just like doing the slap chop by the way we're not sponsored by slap chop but hey if you want to sponsor us i mean yeah, i'd be all for it i'll slap and chop just about anything uh you know <laughs> slap and chop my way to fame like so anyways uh we, uh, you know, we go past the moon, and uh, the scanners reveal that uh, the Orville is at the bottom of Mariana's Trench, as we referenced earlier. But Ed mentions that it's like seven miles down, and the ship might not be able to withstand that much pressure. And here's Lamar, ever so useful Lamar. You know, he saves the day again by saying, like, if we reroute the shields onto the uh, onto the shuttlecraft to like dedicate all the shields to it, that it should be able to withstand the pressure and make it down. Mm-hmm. Like hats off to Lamar, like freaking brilliant engineer i don't know i, I applaud the lamar i, I want to see lamar of lamar like he was killing me oh. and uh, oh. i hope he gets like a, a bigger role i was actually reading up on his background in the orville wiki and apparently he was like um he worked on like part of the uh, production team at fuzzy door which is like the company that makes family guy and eventually the orville and like he would just kind of like serve drinks to people and like ed he would like talk to ed and stuff or seth mcfarland not ed but you know what i mean yeah, and so yeah. he built up his relationship and eventually uh seth was talking to him about like a perfect role and they went to dinner and then bing bang boom the orville so no way it's cool to see uh you know lamar's rise to uh you know to become a member of the ship, and I, I'd like to see more from the actor. I, f- I feel like he's got a bright future. I'd love to see him play, like, a superhero or something. Yeah, that would be super cool. I mean, yeah, like, um, like he, he's such a talented individual. I, I'm so happy that he's been given the opportunity that he has been on the Orville. Um, it, it's a big uh, step up from kind of, like, behind the scenes if I may. Mm-hmm. And you know what? He fits great in the spotlight. Like, the spotlight was made for him. Yeah, so no, he's great. let's get more of him. For sure, and uh, if there was one episode I wanted to be most prominent in, it would want to be this one. So I'm glad he got to, you know, play a big part in this. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, it's funny as they're under going underwater with the shuttle. Like uh, I forget who mentions like, oh, it's it's pretty empty down here, and then Kelly, there's no fish, and then Kelly's like, yeah, the Kalon were really effective in wiping out uh, wiping out the universe. So I didn't even realize that on the first watch. Like so long, fish. Mm-hmm. There's no um, one left on Earth accepting fishes because there's no one left to <laughs> accept, and there's no fish to to give. So <laughs> I was waiting for that. I wonder if they still have goldfish though. That would have been nice with the Twinkie. Just remember what fish are like. You can synthesize them goldfish there. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so we are in the shuttle. We're underwater. We're making it down. We hit 5.5 miles. Um, the, the ship is, or the shuttle is under great pressure. You know, it starts to rock and shake. You can see that Ty is very scared. Gordon even says, like, this is crazy. Like, we shouldn't be doing this. Like, we should get out of here. And you know, but, Gordon you know, says uh, it. It is crazy. Absolutely. I mean, Gordon has never really batted an eyelash at, like, half of the craziest shit that's happened when he's been at the cockpit. And if he doubts it, that's a very, very good indication that this is, like, extremely uh sketchy i guess yeah yeah really. the stakes are high mm-hmm. yeah and eventually they do make it to the abandoned uh orville the uh the shuttle bay is luckily open there and they come on in we explore the ship uh, people are wondering is there anyone else here and we get to the bridge 
Ed uh, asked Tala if she can uh, open this jar of pickles. So, like, I'm not sure if this was the first time that uh, he's asked her that, but this was the, you know, the proverbial passing of the pickle jar where she's, you know, she is the new Manzalea and she is officially, you know, re- replaced Alara. Mm-hmm. It's true. Um, like you say, I- I'm actually not sure either if this is the first one, but, but yeah, like, Tala is officially our Selain on board. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, we entered the bridge and uh board is like uh did he punch ed i i was looking down there in that part yeah he punched ed's lights out because <laughs> he doesn't recognize he doesn't know who ed is in this timeline it makes sense it's just a, a stranger an invader it could be a you know the Kalon could have uh taken someone hostage and told him to go look for this for them so he knocks ed out and then uh they uh they share some dialogue you know lamar's like i hey, oh, don't shoot ed we learned that Boris has been surviving down on the orville for nine months in co- with uh, nothing but uh, combat rations um, it's actually such a sad scene down here. I don't know if this was just me, but when I was watching this episode and when we actually get to see Bordis, he looks kind of different. Like he looks maybe like a little bit like malnourished or something. Yeah. yeah. Like he looks thin. He looks, you know, he doesn't look healthy and he's not mentally like healthy no. at all. You can see he's very disturbed. Like isolation can really mess with you. Absolutely. Um, yeah, like he mentions that he's been surviving for nine months off combat rations and very limited life support, which is pretty incredible. That I mean, if you're the only person on board who's using oxygen, like it is a very large vessel. So like, you know, anyway, long story short, he's very, very sad. And the only thing that's really been keeping him going is the idea of Topa and Clyden meeting him back on Mockless, at which point Tala interjects that... Mopless was destroyed. Um, and you can kind of see a heartbreak right on screen there. Yeah, it's just like a Moculus rift right now. Like, <laughs> no, that was stupid. But anyways, uh, like it is devastating. And like, I felt terrible. Like, a lot of people like hate Clyden, but like, you at least have to feel bad if like Topa's gone. And I feel bad because like, even if Clyden's like a piece of shit, for lack of a better term, like, he's still <laughs> they still love each other, and he's still like would be deb- like it's still not you don't want to lose your child, let alone your child lose their parent or anything like that. So this was uh, this hit hard, and it made sense as to. As I mentioned earlier, you would destroy Mockless since they have such great technology and they're really ruthless and don't care about uh, a lot of stuff that uh, human Terrans would. So it makes sense that uh, they would take them out. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, like they're definitely like one of the first planets to probably have gone, I would say. They're definitely the biggest threat um, um, to the Kalon and they're definitely like the biggest chapter in, in the Union that really... I mean, if you don't take out Mockless, I mean, yeah, you're pretty much left like the queen on the chessboard, and she can do a hell of a lot more than the other pieces, if you don't know, which you probably all do. Yeah, so, uh, you know, they, they share some words. Bordis says to Ed, he's like, look, if you're the person that I've heard about, you you are meant to take this captain's chair. And Ed kind of, you know, feels reserved about it because, you know, he's wanted to be captain, but everyone's telling him he's like this, like, amazing person that has managed to end the biggest conflict in his world. So, you know, he, he feels a little unsure of himself, just kind of like you are, whether, 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 like you would be, like, whether or not you're you're ready to take on your destiny. But uh, Ed takes command and they take to the skies once again. Doesn't miss a beat. Yeah, no, he, he's, you know, I think... Like, thinking about it right now, at the time, I didn't really think about it very much. But right now, um, it, it did come into my mind. Like, imagine how weird it would be to be Ed and to be told that, like, you were the captain of the Orville. You were the one that, like, you know, essentially, like, saved everyone, like, the, the entire Union and mm-hmm. potentially more of the galaxy from, from like, the Kalon threat. And, you know, these are, like, your dreams. Like, Ed always wanted to captain a starship. 
and apparently he has, but he's never gotten to experience it on, on like this Ed from this timeline. So you're just being told about all these things that you've accomplished and that you've, you've wanted to since like, you started your career as a union officer. It, it would be kind of surreal, you know what I mean? Like, It's like, it, am I worthy of this? Am I the person yeah. that told me I am? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is like a really... This is a really heavy moment for Ed, I imagine. But you know what? He parks his caboose right in that seat, and he looks fantastic in it. No, for sure. He was uh, born to play this role. Both Seth MacFarlane and Ed was born to, you know, be captain of the Orville. It's his destiny, as I mentioned earlier. It's, at least it seems that way. So uh, as the Orville, you know, flies off, we uh, Lamar says that Isaac never completed aronoff's equation so in this timeline isaac never got to finish aronoff's work which checks out because we didn't get to see him complete that until like three episodes later or whatever which is after the whole events of identity which is uh what went wrong here and you know what i i mentioned uh the uh you know it, when i was talking last week with zelda timelines the timeline where the hero fails that's what we're in right now so you know wow it's no, all you're full absolutely circle. right yeah guys uh this this podcast uh right uh 50 of the time every time you know like we you know, <laughs> Yeah, so I like that. I didn't think of that, that uh, this Isaac would not have Aronov's work. And it, it checks out, so I, I like that. Lamar says that uh, he's got a crazy idea and that the only real way for them to get the information they need to complete the equ- equation would be to go to probably the most dangerous place they could go, which is Kalon. And they head, and they head out that way. Mm-hmm. So Kelly and Ed, they're sharing a drink. Um, Ed blows off like the dust from the very old... From the very old bottle there, I, I'm very sad to see that Jason Alexander isn't serving this glass. <laughs> Rest in peace, Alex. Rip. But yeah, so he's pouring himself a drink, and next thing you know, Kelly walks in. Um, she asked Ed if she's a terrible person for wanting this timeline to continue, because, you know, it's been seven years, and a- as we know, like, just because Kelly turned Ed down on the second date in this timeline, it doesn't mean that she didn't want to go. She already mentioned that, you know, she wanted to save them both of all the pain and all the trouble. Yeah. In, in this scene, like, you see that she's been longing to see Ed again, and she loves him tremendously. Um, they they start, like, shooting the shit, and they talk about, you know, maybe if this, you know, timeline continues and, and their events don't get undone, maybe they'll just kind of run away and live on, like, an abandoned planet somewhere, have a couple kids, and Gordon, <laughs> Gordon's going to live with them, and Kelly yeah. told told that yeah. he's ruining the moment and shut up like that was very friends to me like when chandler and monica get married and joey has to live with them at the end and they have like a joey room that's that's the vibe i got from that and i'm sure they the three of them got a kick uh, from it the actors when they realized like uh, you know obviously gordon and uh, gordon and kelly are engaged in real life i thought that was uh, that was a nice touch what's interesting with the whole uh, kelly timeline thing is like imagine just realizing like the only way to like your timeline that you're in is the wrong one if it's successful, we're going to end your timeline. You're living not like it's like being told like you're living in sin is like a gay person. Like your whole timeline is like irrelevant. Like your existence is wrong is basically what's happening for Kelly. Like this is the bad case scenario that we want to wipe out. So like, you know, that's a heavy burden on you. And and you would think like, you know what? I just wish I could be happy in this hell of a timeline. You know, even if I hope we don't wipe it out because even though it's terrible, there's still like, you know, salvageable things in it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's tremendously emotional when you really consider like what's going on. God, I'm gonna I'm gonna tear up if I think about it too much, Matt. Let's keep going. Let's keep... It's hard to get beyond all the dick and fart jokes that this show is just exclusively. But sometimes, no, I'm just kidding. Of course, <laughs> this show is so much deeper. And if you guys don't realize that, then uh, you're probably the most serious ship on the fleet, and we want nothing to do with you. 
Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> Jokes, come back, but, you know, lighten up a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, Gordon doesn't even know about his future living plans. I would love to... That'd be a nice... Uh, imagine if the episode ended with uh, Kelly and Ed living together in, like, a small house, and then you just see Gordon upstairs or something like that. That'd be nice. <laughs> you just, yeah, they're, they're, like, sharing a romantic dinner or something, and, like, Gordon walks in in his boxers, grabs his shirt <laughs> from the fridge, like, walks back out. Yeah, yeah grew back the Mohawk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so... Lamar manages to, uh, he mentions that he found a way to get into the Kalon Connectome network and that he can download Isaac's consciousness into this random Kalon body that's on the ship. But the only catch is that it will take full use of the ship's quantum drive and the ship won't be able to move. So they'll be sitting ducks this whole time. Mm-hmm. And it was up until this point, like, I, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't even realize there was no Isaac in this episode. And I feel like he's one of the best parts of this show. So hats off to you guys just making a hell of a season finale without even having to, like, rely on some of your uh, pinch hitters there. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. Like, I actually didn't really notice that Isaac was absent from all of this until that moment when they have to tap into uh, the network and, and try and get his data back. Because in this timeline, Isaac, when they went back to Kalon, he was he was dissembled and sent back for um, for whatever capacity the Kalon recycling program is consisting mm. of <laughs> just one more thing on how i i've mentioned previously in the podcast though there's like a weird connection between yafit and isaac how mm-hmm. you know they have the opposite like facial display and stuff but in this episode uh yafit loses a piece of himself and we only see a piece of isaac so they're incomplete in this timeline as well which is kind of cool they're both missing a part of themselves yeah no you're actually absolutely right like isaac is missing his entire body like he's been sent back for reprocessing or whatever but his consciousness is there, and Yafet, yeah, like you say, you got part of his his mind blown mm-hmm. out. So well, his go. gelatinous memory. I don't know if it's his mind, but no, you're right. That's an absolutely awesome little thing to pick up on, Matt. Thank you. So yeah, I, I like that. Just like those little things, even if uh, you know they're not meant to be. I just noticed that those two kind of do have some weird uh, connections. So Lamar's uh, kooky experiment works, and we hear Isaac's uh, Isaac's voice appear on this Kalon head, and he starts threatening the crew, and he says extinction is inevitable, and that the Kalon have found them. Like this is Isaac, like full evil. Like this is Isaac after he's never even thought about uh, ch- turning on his people. Yeah, this is an Isaac who's never really had that time with Finn, who's never had that time with Ty and Marcus, and he is cold as... Yeah, he's as cold as ice willing to sacrifice their love, you know, there he's a... He's a real bass. He doesn't even know about their love. This is like missing, you know, love that he could never experience if it is love. Mm-hmm. But uh, we see uh, Lamar gets the equation that he needs uh, off of Isaac. He manages to find it in the data banks. And then Dr. Finn says goodbye to the boys and gets ready to time travel. So we get the crew all set up as this is a nice little sequence as the Orville has to use like all of its uh, systems to be able to, uh, you know, uh, send Kelly through this process, wipe Kelly's mind and stuff. So it's it's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. It is a lot. And I like that scene there when um, Finn's saying to like the boys that she's she's got to go. Ty's like, but mom, look, I don't want you to leave. And she's like, I don't want to go either. But you know what? I'll see you again very soon in a much better place. Such brave, brave crewmates, eh? No, that's what's nice about time travel is like if someone tries like, oh, I'll, I'll, you know, don't worry, it'll work. They'll know within two seconds or they're dead. So, <laughs> you know, don't have to no suspense there. Yeah, no, for sure, eh? <laughs> Yeah, so um, Ed uh, asks Kelly if she'll marry him, and then uh, right before they're about to complete the mission, and then uh, she says yes, and then boom, the Orville explodes, which is the preview we saw in uh, at the end of last week's episode, which you knew they had to include that as like a teaser for next week. How can you not? 
there was two times I'm thinking like when we saw the Orville buried, buried at the bottom of the ocean, I was like, please, Fox, don't let it end up like this. Don't let the sh- don't let the Orville stay <laughs> at the bottom of the ocean. And also with the ship blowing up, I was like, please, please, Jesus. And I said on Twitter, someone was like, you know, if you watch that GIF in reverse of the ship blowing up, it actually spontaneously recombusts itself into the ship. So it's just coming out of nothing to become the Orville. <laughs> So uh, after this like explosion, we see uh, past Kelly. She has bangs, so we know for sure that it's six years ago. Can't be anything else. Or seven years ago. Uh, she wakes up in her apartment. She th- synthesizes a coffee and then disappears as the coffee hits the floor. We hear like a big like reverberating. She's like, and uh, if, you know, it's something with the timeline. She disappears and then we see her wake up on the floor. And then she stands up and Dr. Finn appears behind her. And then she tells Kelly that the memory wipe didn't work. She tells Kelly to trust her and that uh, she's gonna going to go back to sleep. Kelly then asks what she has in her hand, and Claire says, Feature of the Galaxy, which is true. I, I, I like that line. And uh, Super good line, you're right. Yeah, so uh, Claire injects her with it, and it wipes her memory, we assume, and then she disappears. Kelly wakes up uh, to a phone call, and it's Ed, and she agrees to the second date, and all is right in the world. You know, what's a theory I just thought of? What if Kelly, in the timeline we saw of the Orville, well, it's kind of like a time loop, but what if Kelly, that we've always seen divorcing Ed, even though it looks bad or whatever, she knew in the timeline that this all had to happen, otherwise the Kalon wouldn't fade. Hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so like, if uh, she knew this divorce, like, they could have got back together after they realized the Drulio of it all, and that could be the reason she uses, like, I just don't want to see you hurt, Ed. I just don't want to see you hurt. But, like, really, Ed being hurt would be uh, the ta- him not being captain, the ship blowing up, and the whole, like, the Kalon taking over. That would be Ed getting hurt. You never know. Absolutely right. Yeah, that's heavy, man. I just kind of thought about that as we were doing that there. All these time travel theories just melt your brain, but uh, still, uh, they're very interesting to think about. Yeah, they're very mind-boggling. They're very hard to kind of grasp. That makes them so much more interesting, though, really. I I, I would argue. Yeah. Uh, After Claire uh, wipes her memory and disappears, Kelly wakes up to a phone call, and it's Ed, and she agrees to go on a second date. And all is right in the world, or so we think. I this leaves us at you know most of us assume we're led to believe that the universe is all is right in the world and the timeline's fixed. And I guess uh, the alternate timeline we spent most of this episode in is gone. Yeah, no, I guess it's all undone, really. Like it's never, never happened. I guess we're back to our what I've referred to earlier as our prime timeline. I think it would be cool to have like a multiverse though of having this timeline go on. I'd be cool with that in the comics or like, I still think that like the Kalons still have that time, that time code from Isaac. Like they still have Aronoff's research, but he didn't complete it. So that's what I missed last week. He hadn't completed it, but if one Isaac can complete it, I bet like a planet of Kalons can probably complete it. (laughs) You know, like I'm sure Isaac isn't the only Kalon who's, who's able to really like process these equations. Um, but, like, shit, dude, who knows what season uh, three may hold. Um, it may just be a whole lot of fringe going on here, flying through different timelines. I know. I know. Multiverse stuff would be amazing. Like, I'd be down for that. Like, And then we could have a crossover for the season finale where the Kalon in both worlds, the Kalon and the Mocklin in one world team up. Like, that'd be crazy. Oh, it would be pretty cool, yeah. It would be heavy duty. No, exactly. So I thought this was an amazing season finale. Like I said to you, I was like, I don't know if this tops identity or not. Like, but if you can compete with identity part one and two, then you've got yourself a hell of a season. They've done a fantastic job with this episode. I'm going to be sitting on the edge of my seat until season three comes out. Fingers crossed. Say a prayer if that's the kind of thing you're into, whatever. Um, Yeah, man, like this just leaves a lot of potential 
Definitely. It, it, it like it's wide open so they could go anywhere they want. And also it's it's nice that if the show never comes back, it's a nice way to close it, you know, where everything was perfect. And it was like Kelly and Ed's relationship managed to, you know, even though they're torn apart, they managed to combine the timelines. And I mean, we got to see them share their love together in this episode, you know, like they shared the kiss like they have, you know, they had plans for their future. Ed asked her to marry her if, you know, this all doesn't work. We got to see Ed and Callie's um, love for one another kind of fulfilled, even though it was only for like a brief couple minutes and everything. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of like full circle, except there's still a lot of questions. Yeah, I can't wait to see where they go. And we will do a podcast as to where season two could go uh, for sure, or season three could go for sure, or just what we'd like to see as well. Uh, in the future of the show so i don't know are we gonna officially call this like season one of the redenbacher and like this will be the end of season one and then we could do season two during the summer talking about the alara and comics i'm not sure we'll, we'll figure it out hmm. yeah we'll uh i mean i guess this is our season one but we still have to go back and do the first three episodes and that could be our season two of like yeah. that big chunk the alara could be season two but uh yeah we'll see we'll uh, if you guys have suggestions on that let us know uh, you can contact us at the Redenbacher on Twitter and Instagram for uh, you know pun, puns and memes. Uh, there's the Redenbacher page on Facebook, which is great if you want the links for the new episodes. Uh, the Redenbacher is also on uh, Reddit at u slash the uh, slash u the Redenbacher or whatever. Just search the user Redenbacher. We're there. And uh, thanks so much for listening this season. We've loved it, and it's heightened my enjoyment of the show. And I hope it's done the same for any listeners out there. Yeah, guys, um, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank everybody who's been tuning in. Um, it means so much. Um, Matt and I have had an excellent time, like, watching these episodes, talking about these episodes, prepping these episodes that, like, of the podcast for you guys, recording them, editing them. It's been such a great experience. It's been such a good journey. Um, and we're just so, so happy to have you guys, like, on board the Rettenbacher, per se. Exactly. It's fantastic. And thanks for joining us. It's been great. Ben, do you got anything else you want to add? Um, I guess just stay tuned to see where the Redenbacher voyage is next, guys. Exactly. We love you. Stay frosty. And <laughs> from the Horsehead Nebula, for Commander Ben Bullerwell, this is Matt Murphy signing off. <laughs>